Hey, I'm Paul Rabel. And this time I'm sitting down with a three-time pro bowler. He's an ESPN analyst and the first NFL player on Twitter. Matt Hasselback has been using his voice on the field, online, and on air to develop his brand and make a difference. In this episode, you're going to learn about free agency negotiations in the NFL. Also, what cost Matt his Campbell Soup sponsorship deal. I hope you enjoy as I sit down with Matt in Boston. Yes, it's our second show, and I'm pleased to say that we have our first advertiser. And being in line with sports and business, it's around building your team. So with that, I'd like to ask the first question, are you hiring? And if so, do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? Me personally, it took six months to hire my first employee. Shout out Andrew Manning. There was a real opportunity cost that I missed had I been able to move and execute more quickly though. And as they say in sports, there's no I in team and you're only as good as the talent on your roster. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100-plus job sites with just one click. Then, their powerful technology efficiently matches the right people to your job better than anyone else. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them. In fact, over 80% of jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just 24 hours. That means no juggling emails or calls to your office, All you do is simply screen, rate, then manage candidates all in one place with ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use dashboard. Find out why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And right now, my listeners for Suiting Up Podcast can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash cross. That's short for lacrosse. And that's ZipRecruiter.com slash C-R-O-S-S-E. One more time for everyone. It's free. ZipRecruiter.com slash cross. I'm looking for your name here because I'm going to make a joke. Okay. Well, this is a great opportunity to to start off with a joke. You can start off with a joke right here. Like, uh, can I acknowledge that Tyler's here? Yeah. Yeah. Tyler's right here. I have have no mic, though. Tyler did the research. <clears throat> All right, so this is your opportunity right now. Ten words or fewer to describe yourself. You know, it's funny. I'm working on this. I'm going to see T- Don Miller to help me develop who I am. What's my story? Yeah. Going to see him in Nashville. My wife set this up. That's great. Yeah. I was supposed to go in October. Like self-actualization. self-actualization. It's a little bit more like, uh, you know, you're going to go speak to a group and then they leave. Like, what? what's the one thing they're going to say? Like, who is that guy? Who is Paul Rabel? Yeah. You know, and it's like... You know, whatever that is, kind of developing what your story, I think it's called story brand. Yeah. So I'm kind of fired up to do it actually. So what do you think that is for you? It's a great question. Uh, I kind of feel like I've got this, uh, you know, depends where I am in the country. You know, if I'm anywhere near Green Bay, Wisconsin, I guarantee you someone's going to be like, oh, you're the guy at overtime said to Brett Favre, uh, we want the ball and we're going to score, you know. Um, in Seattle, where I played for 10 years, it's something completely different. Right. Uh, in Indianapolis, where I finished my career, it's, it's very different. If I'm at school picking up my kids, I'm strictly, oh, you're Annabelle's dad. You know, yeah. like it's, it really depends on, on what sphere I'm in a little right. bit. But um, yeah, so that's something but, I got to work on now that I'm done playing football. But... Forget about the, the the people, what they think about you. What what 
what do you want to leave as your legacy? Like, what's and forget about that. Ooh, what's the going most deep here? Going deep here, Paul. What's the most meaningful thing to you? Right, parenting. Yeah. Who I am as a husband, a father, and a parent. That's most important. It's cha- changes your life. Yeah, you know, I remember when uh, I was my first year starting as a quarterback in Seattle, and uh, we had an in-season baby, which I highly, highly uh, <laughs> discourage any young quarterback in your first year as starter to. Uh, plan a pregnancy that way um <laughs> we didn't have a plan so bam we had a baby in october right. and and uh ironically lived next door to a fire station and anyway uh <laughs> point of the story was we had it we had the baby on a on a tuesday which is the nfl off day and then they were well, like that worked yeah sort of then the next day they were like okay you guys can go home <laughs> i was like we can't go home like we don't know what to do with this baby you know our closest relative was in chicago we're in seattle and um just had no idea. And so someone said, oh, it's like the Peace Corps. It's the toughest job you'll ever love. And I thought that was a pretty good description of what parenthood is like. Uh, it is harder than anything you've ever done. But uh, if you're going to try to do it well, and yet it's the most rewarding thing by far. Yeah. Yeah. We talked earlier and I, and I, get, I lobbed you this question ahead of time because I had a feeling there was going to be like some technological barrier between the two of us. But the other way to pose the question that we like to do on the show is your home screen on your phone. Oh, yeah. I forgot to. Well, you know what's interesting? So you I, didn't take advantage of, of the protein, which no. is good. <laughs> well, you know what? I just got a new phone because my phone just like, who knows what happened to it. But I had all the boxes. Everything was like organized by category. I don't even know if I have any apps on so this phone. So that's good. It's like. Uh, so you were categorized. And you, and I yeah, I, got you don't no, I don't cloud. even have all the icons on page one. They're not even all filled. In. Okay, so we'll just, just read, read page one for me. Read your home. So screen. you just got your standards, you know, photos, camera, weather, Uber. There you go. Uh, definitely have the clock. I'm Why? Gonna... I thought you were driving the kids around from practice to practice. Well, there was a little bit of an accident in our garage. I don't okay. want to sell anybody out because uh, <laughs> I don't want my wife to get mad at me, but there was an accident. <laughs> the car is being fixed. And uh, I. I Ubered here, and I will be Ubering home. Yeah. Uh, what about social media? Do you have social media on there? I do. I do. Uh, I have Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, Score. Score Sports, you probably don't know about. S-Q-O-R. Got I into absolutely that. know about okay. Score. Yeah, yeah, you do, actually. I, I learned about that from Brett Favre, an old teammate of mine. Uh, friendlier than, say, Twitter. Like, Twitter, every NFL guy, when you get on the bus after a game... You just you fight this temptation. Do I look at my mentions on Twitter post game? Assuming that's after a loss, it doesn't matter. Because after a win, you're like, doesn't matter. No, I've been NFC Player of the Week, and like, and you don't look at your mentions, but but played first bat poorly in the played poorly in the first quarter, and it's like. Oh, it's not. You're terrible. Take two weeks off and quit. You know, like, you know, all that. And then way worse, actually. And then by the end of it, it's like, you're the man. Love you. Same person, usually. But uh, so anyway, score is a little friendlier. It's like for people that are actually. It's the avid fan platform. Actually, like a fan. Like they're like rooting for you and your team. And uh, even whether or not they even want to interact with you, they love seeing you interact with other players, yeah. opponents, teammates, sports, whatever. So right. I like that. It's new. So it's still working out some kinks, yeah. but uh, it's new. Um, are you just participating or did you invest or are you advising? Um, maybe ambassador, maybe yeah. Yeah. I would say. I was kind of a fan of it, fan Got of the it. idea. Yeah. So uh, I, I've noticed we're, we're, disclosure we're at the Harvard Innovations Lab for a, a conference and everyone here is like trying to pull you in one direction or another to probably ambassador their platform. <laughs> yeah. 
does. And you get a lot of that. Yeah. So you just try to pick the things that you're actually passionate about. Right. And, uh, and also the people that you, like I was with some guys yesterday. I thought they had a great idea. I love their concept. I would buy their concept in a store or on an app or whatever. And it didn't necessarily like them. Does you didn't like the sense? founders. Absolutely. They didn't like trust them. They were a little slick, willy sleazy. Yeah. And just like overselling, hmm. overpromising. Like, yeah. all right. You know, like it's called it's founder a, fit. It's a great idea, but it's, um, like you're not, you're not curing some disease here, guys. You right. Know, you're, you're making, well, even, uh, even to the know, extent that say like, what they're making, but even you know. to the extent that founders are creating a cure for a disease in the biotech space, if, if they're not like, empathic people yeah. that can relate yeah. it turns off investors. You exactly. have to find founder fit early exactly. and often. Yeah. In fact, it's funny you say that last year, my son's hockey coach had to miss a bunch of time. He was working on a drug to fight the Ebola virus. Mm-hmm. And this guy was an awesome guy, awesome coach. And, um, he really, really cared about helping people. Yeah. Like it was inspiring to hear he wasn't just this wasn't just his job. He was thinking about the you know incredible amounts of people they could actually help as opposed to oh yeah like you know you see like you know, movies, you hear a doctor doing surgery and he's just talking about his golf game yeah. as he's cutting a guy, you know, this is his career's They're on the line. He's coming, he, yeah. Like, ah, ha, ha. and right. I, maybe it is routine to him, but like it also, you want it to feel like, Hey, is this important yeah. to you? Like it is to me. No doubt. Um, it's a real thing. So, so staying with social media then, but, but, but talking about like in, using it in a meaningful way, you have been known to leverage the, the time around your birthday to gather donations and contribute to a charity of your choice. Are you using social platforms for that? Had you, or is it mainly like a circle of family and friends? Yeah, I think that was probably uh, something that I was passionate about. I think I was the first NFL player on Twitter. I can't confirm that. I think January of 08, Dude, if that's Tyler, true. Tyler, we didn't get that stat. You know? Come on, Tyler. You know? You're slacking, buddy. Incredible. That's incredible. Well, he's got at Hasselback. Which is cool. I was going to ask I if did that... it sort of wrong though, because I was, I started out super private on Twitter and super public on Facebook. And then you, I hit the max amount of friends on Facebook, 5,002. Yep. yep. Know that story. And then, uh, then it was like, uh, before they created fan pages. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So and you probably had like 10,000 pending friend requests. I and... did it. Well, I ended up deactivating a long story, but I got <laughs> hacked and you know, but, uh, but I actually went to the NFL in 2008 and I said, Hey, I get this great idea for our brand, for our game. You know, it's a new revenue stream. Maybe we can solve some of these problems we have with former players and whatever. I don't know. Um, it's called Twitter. And they were like, well, wait, what? Like, yeah. well, maybe we'll get our IT department down here. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, it was like there was no section in the in the organization to figure out, well, where would Twitter fit with us? Right. And I sort of like went that whole off season, went around like, guys, guys, Twitter, Twitter. Yeah. And um, everyone kind of laughed at me. So then, uh, but now... You know, now it's it's a, so I take it that's your platform of choice. It was. I don't know if I'm married to it though. It's become like a little bit of a. I don't know. Like it's just like hate, well, hateful. They're under it's like, a lot it's kind of kind of a newspaper. Um, yeah. I do know when I went to Nashville though. I went from Seattle to Nashville, and it was like 
that's kind of like the, as far south as I've ever been. And, you know, there was a strong accent there compared to what I was used to. And people like, Hasselback, come here, man. Come here. Yeah. Sign sign my picture. Hey, dude, I follow you on Twitter. I follow you on Twitter. And I'm like, what? I'm sorry. What are you saying? Yeah. yeah. Follow you on Twitter. Well, it's like Coach like, Belichick Twitter. Insta Snap. And... He does that on purpose. He's yeah. amazing. Snapgram. That guy's a genius and he yeah. knows exactly <laughs> what he's saying. Yeah. Yeah, that's fascinating. So all, under the hood, most of us do. I, I, and I want to use that to segue into our, our thoughtful conversation around the duality of the modern athlete, which is why we've we've started this conversation with with like minded folks like yourself. And so I think the, the first thing that's really interesting is is talking about workload and balancing what you have to do, especially with a elongated career that was as successful as yours. Um, what was your day to day like? training and and staying at the top as as one of very few you know, high-performance NFL quarterbacks. Well, the duality you talk about, it's ironic because back when my dad played in the NFL, uh, maybe just before that, guys had two jobs, like for real. Yeah. Like they would go sell insurance. Right. That's what I'm doing. Okay. Yeah, sort of. So, I mean, that, then, then it sort of changed. Like, hey, this is a full-time job. There is no off-season. You have, um, you know, I don't even know, maybe six weeks off. And if you have an off-season surgery, you have no weeks off. So, um, that is a thing. I, I really think that um, to be an NFL football player, you really got to almost be 100% in. You can't kind of dabble in other stuff. It's dangerous. If you do, then you probably fall into that bracket of a guy's career who's who's shorter than one and a half years, which is the average or two. Yeah, and you maybe don't take full advantage of your... Um, your opportunity. And then going back to 2008, when I was, you know, trying to tell everybody about Twitter, I don't think I had the best off season I've ever had, you know, and I, I got hmm. hurt my back that season and then broke a bunch of ribs. Patrick Willis hit me in San Fran on the one yard line with a hit that, that definitely should have hurt and maybe should have hurt me, but it shouldn't have fractured two ribs. And just looking back on my career hmm. over 18 years, I look at those two years when I was really trying hard to do this you know, sort of other ventures, almost prepare for life after football, where I, I feel like, you know what, that's not the strongest I was in my NFL career. Yeah. You know, I was training, I was doing everything I was supposed to do, but I don't know if it, it wasn't my best, Yeah, you know? And so looking back after that, I decided to kind of like, hey, listen, football is number one priority and that has to come, like that is, you know, in terms of career, that has to be first. And if you're not getting creative and trying to find exciting new ways to train, recover, perform. Um, I mean, I love watching what Tom Brady's doing right now because here's a guy that's at, already at the top and he is looking for every, he's like, you know what, I'm just throwing out everything that I've, I've, I've ever been told or whatever. I'm looking for the, what's the best way to train? Mm -hmm. What's the best way to recover? What's the best way to eat? What's the, yeah. you know, I don't care how it's done bef before, how should it be done? Yeah. And you see results. And, and I think that's something I did try to do after that. Every off season, I would, um, come up with a list of three things that I wanted to get better at. And one of those things I, I, always had to go outside of someone I had already known to find a way to get there. What were, what were some of those things? Um, you know, like late in my career, I think when I was actually in Tennessee, I had like a little bit of an Achilles tendinosis. Mm -hmm. Like basically it was like a tendinitis that lasts a long time in your Achilles. And, uh, you know, I was always in the cold tub. I was wearing these kinds of shoes. I was doing this and that. And, uh, led me down a path to this guy who wrote a book called The Supple Leopard. This guy, Dr. Yep. Kelly Sturette in uh, the Presidio area of uh, San Francisco. It's like this thick. Yeah, it's a nice coffee table book. Four or five inches. Um, so I went to see him 
And I think I might have even gone with some teammates, Andrew Luck, Kobe Fleener, some guys like that that were real smart guys and into training and recovery. And uh, maybe, I, maybe I went without them first, but, but yeah. I went there and he's like, listen, there's no proof that a cold tub works. Right. I'm like, sure there is. Everyone, everyone cold, cold tub. I mean, everyone does that. Mm-hmm. He's like, no, there's no science. He's like, you should try this instead. And he led me on to like some Normatec compression boots, mm-hmm. uh, a Compex machine or a Mark Pro machine, something like a, um, a non-fatiguing muscle stim, like pump, yep. pump type thing. And he said, see these you know, expensive running shoes that you're wearing? Get out of them. Yeah. Throw them away. Go get some Chuck Taylors. Yeah, we had this conversation last night. It's, it's interesting. What, what, what promotes healing is blood flow. And our feet, your Achilles tendon... I've had Jones fractures. It's the furthest place, your foot, from your heart, which is the source of your blood flow. And on top of it, if you're going to throw it into an ice tub, you're pushing even the, the, the smallest amount of blood flow you're getting out. So there's some, there's some benefit, I think, to you know the cold tub for some things. But for what I had, he basically was... Ch- flipping my world upside down. So how did you get that meeting? Did you just because trying to think, you know, it's I, not I, something I, that like, it's not easy to I do. I actually think he was a guy that I had followed on Twitter. There you go. Um, and maybe my dad knew this guy, Rich Froning, who had won the CrossFit games, who had maybe I'd seen him in a video with him. It was just like one of these like six degrees of separation, Kevin Bacon's type situation. And I just, and, and I think maybe he grew up in Seattle and there was like some sort of mutual synergy to just like, Hey, can I do a workout with you? And we ended up not even doing a workout. He, he ended up just basically ripping me up and down from my posture, my breathing technique, my, uh, my recovery techniques. And it was, so I said, you know what, you're crazy, but I'll try it. And my, uh, my health, my Achilles, all that stuff, like, shoom. Yeah. Better. Like yeah. almost immediately. Yeah. And, uh, and so things like that, you know, going That's to see people like that to, to get better. So uh, I think an area that, that could be seen as both for current NFL players, an opportunity to invest and grow as a professional in that duality moment, but also improve their performance on fielders with wearable technology mm-hmm. and getting that data. Yeah. And I know that you sit on the board of, of sports advisors for MC10, mm-hmm. uh, and they're in the marketplace with this bio stamp, but there are a lot of companies that's highly competitive trying to extract meaningful data. Uh, is that something that you, know, you paid a lot of attention to last year or in your final years of playing? I mean, I, I've always been sort of disappointed how technology has not progressed in football. Hmm. Like, it just hasn't. Um, Why not? Is it being pushed out? Because it's just like people just do barriers? what they've always done. You know, they do what they've always done. Is there too big of a price tag? It, like, no. To get in, don't you have to pay to be in the NFL, right? So it's there's like, some of that. But I mean, I'm even talking about your playbook. Hmm. Like, your playbook. I mean, I don't know what year it was for me in the NFL. It was 2000 and something. We were still getting our plays on an overhead projector. Yeah. And that was it. In black and white. Coach, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. And so you got some of these older coaches that are really bright guys. They're some of the brightest in the world at what they do, but no one has really kept them up to date on technology. Hmm. Like I literally had a conversation with a coach one time because we went from overhead projector to PowerPoint. And he was like, oh, we don't need this fancy playbook. It was PowerPoint. Like my kids are using PowerPoint in fourth grade. (laughs) So I'm like, what? And I'm on the treadmill next to this coach, just kind of doing a little warm up. And I make a joke about 
oh, did you get that email about the new PowerPoint playbook? Right. And he literally <laughs> says to me, he's like, oh, no, no. I know how to reply to an email, but I don't know how to start a new one. Yeah. And I'm like, wait yeah. a sec, yeah. what? Right. And now we're sort of wondering why our young, you know, millennial first round draft pick isn't relating to you. I'm like, we, yeah. we need continuing education in technology yeah. and or you know, whatever it is. I mean, I've talked for years and years and years about the coach to quarterback communication system that works sometimes. Hmm. You see these coach, you know, the coach calls the play into the quarterback. There's like a battery pack and a receiver and two really lame, awful speakers in your helmet in a loud stadium. You can't hear the play call very well. You yeah. hear the coach, it comes in like this. Everyone goes zero. Right. Uh, <laughs> right, zebra left, two jet X dagger, Y shallow cross fake 40. Which is completely different. I said two jet X dagger, Y shallow cross fake 40, which is completely different than three jet X, X dagger, Y shallow cross fake 40. And like it's these languages. It's yeah. red, left, swap, tight, close, Z, right, sprint, right, G, U, corner, halfback, flat. And like you need to hear that clearly. Right. And people are like, oh, the guy, the back went the wrong way. Well, yeah, it's like yeah. the game of telephone. This yeah. is the NFL, a billion-dollar industry. You saw where Bill Belichick got all upset about the Microsoft Surface tablet not working yeah. very well. I have a Surface at home. I love my Surface. It's great. The Surface that we use on the sidelines, it's not a real Surface. It's like a, it's like still shots. It's created it's just, it's for just that photos, specific game. And yeah. that's it. On yeah. a sunny day, the brightness doesn't go up high enough for you to even see the screen because huh. yeah. you're outside in Jacksonville. There's no video. Yeah. I think now it's high def, but it wasn't initially. Yeah. Um, so technology needs to be disrupted in a major way. It's got way this like, crazy right otter box case type on it because the O-line coach is going to throw it down. But it's like, yeah. we can do better. We yeah. can do better. This is the NFL. Yeah. So there's, there's technological intelligence. And then what I'm really excited about digging into with you is the emotional intelligence of an NFL quarterback. Um, I don't think there's, there's, there are very few things in sports that are as dynamic as that relationship, as you mentioned, with your coach, being able to give um, counter feedback. And then also from year to year, taking snaps under a lineman um, that, that may be in his mid-20s that hangs out with a group of linemen, handing the ball off to a halfback who may be a rookie, a 21-year-old, um, and, and, and then like sort of balancing that relationship, because in sports, the chemistry of the team is is pertinent uh, to to a, to a winning record. And I think that in in football, more than other sports, it's segmented to that relationship that the offense has versus the defense. And it's getting dark in here. Now nice. it's pitch dark. Yeah. Party. This is exactly. It's, <laughs> it's okay. It's it sets the mood. The mood. <laughs> well, so you know, talk to, about yeah. emotional intelligence. Do you well, like? Well, I think age is overrated. That? I think age is overrated, and and that's something that you find on any football team. So in our locker room, there's 53 guys on the on the active roster. Then you've got. Um, up to like 10 practice squad players. Then you've got guys that are on injured reserve. They can't, you know, they've had surgery in season. So they're a part of your team. They're in the building, but they don't, they don't get to dress. They don't get to go to right. practice. They don't get to do any of that stuff. But you find that whether, whether you're, um, you know, you grew up a, a rich kid in Greenwich, Connecticut, or a poor kid in Miami, Florida, like that doesn't matter about what kind of teammate you are, or what mm. kind of friend you are, what kind of leader you can be on our team. And even the age thing, I mean, I, I've, I've had teammates that were close to my age that, you know, it was just an okay relationship. And I've had guys where I was the 41 year old and they were the rookie and We'll be lifelong friends, and we're like you and Andrew Luck. You know, Andrew Luck—that's a good example. Like he's closer in age to my kids than he is to me, mm-hmm. and you know, we were quarterbacks together with the Indianapolis Colts, and um, we've got a great relationship. 
yeah. great relationship. And we always will, I, I would imagine, uh, unless I say something bad about him on ESPN and he gets mad at me, which is, that could happen too. But, um, but, but, you know, he would come over to the house, you know, my wife would be making dinner or whatever. And he'd say, Oh, thanks, Mrs. Hasselbeck. And she'd give him this look like, don't you ever call me Mrs. Right. Hasselbeck again. That's <laughs> awful. Okay. Yeah. And then like, before you know it, we're having dinner and then he's like helping the kids with their homework. Yeah. I'm like, uh, so the adults are over here, you right. know, I mean, I think they can handle it. Yeah. It's just uh long yeah. division. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, that happens in like the age thing. That doesn't happen often though, where you have a 41 year old quarterback. No, but you NFL. know, like I even remember like when Warren Moon was quarterbacking for the Kansas City Chiefs, they drafted Tony Gonzalez in the first round yeah. and those guys were immediate roommates. So he was 41 yeah. and Tony Gonzalez was a rookie tight end. They were immediate roommates and yeah. lifelong friends. Um, even with coaches, like I've had some coaches that have been way, way older than me. Like their kids are my age and they're like some of my best friends. And so yeah. like that, like you said, emotional intelligence. Well, I think, I, I think you're discounting the, your, your character value and your character traits. Honestly. For sure. For sure. That's right? part of it. So that's why, that's why I, I want to kind of get into is like, you mentioned, you, you're thinking of like two or three people that you can think of. I couldn't think of more than two or three people that have had a meaningful impact for as long as you have. It's not just about, Hey, uh, I'm a good person, I'm a good leader, and I'm going to relate to everyone. Like there, There's real investment that you're probably making. It comes naturally because that's why you've been successful at it for so long. I think that in football, in our locker rooms, if you have an unselfish attitude, that's attractive. If you're really, really, really good at your job, that's attractive. And if you're a hard worker, um, that's attractive. Yeah. And so those three things, like if you're good at all those things, you're unselfish, hard worker, and really good at your job, people are going to want to get to know you more, do what you do, hear from you. Um, when there's a lull in a team setting, they want you to speak up. They yeah. want to hear from you. Um, so if you're, do you think that there's logic to being unselfish and hardworking that that will make you a better player than not? It's hard because I've been around some guys that... Uh, Hardworking and selfish. Well, let me think of it the other way. I have know some guys that are great players. Yeah. Like you're, they're on your fantasy team, but they were selfish and they weren't hard workers yeah. and their teammates don't respect them. That's don't right. like them, don't really want to be their teammate. They're not even happy for them. Like a guy scores a touchdown, like they don't even clap. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, we scored. Oh, well. You know, but like yeah. that, there's that. Yeah. Then, then on the flip side, there's guys that are unselfish, hardworking, but they can't get it done. Yeah. And if you can't get it done, like, hey, man, I love you, but... But, you know, my career is only a certain amount of time and uh, I'm in it to win and like yeah. we can be friends. But, eh. yeah. you know, so if you get all three of those, I think that's pretty, pretty strong, pretty yeah. powerful. Yep. So we rewind to a moment in, in your career where you've said it was one of the hardest moments where you ended up leaving Seattle. But it was also you know, the variable of it being NFL lockout time. Um, and, and so how did you address going through turbulence in your career. And a lot of the listeners, and myself included as an interviewer, uh, experience turbulence regularly in our careers, but those low moments are, are, are often the ones that put us into a state of, of self-realization or a, a state of, of kind of a snowball effect when we roll down into treacherous territory. So kind of talk through what that experience was like leaving a franchise that you wanted to stay with. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, it's always been ups and downs. I mean, even I, coming out of college, I wasn't invited to the combine. I wasn't, I uh, had a pro day. Only one coach showed up, the Green Bay Packers quarterback coach, Andy Reid, and he showed up at Boston College and it was snowing that day. So he's like, oh, I guess we can't work out. It's snowing. And I'm like, oh no, we can still work out. And he was like, oh, that was a test and you passed. So we're good. <laughs> like, you could play in Green Bay. I was like, but we never threw, never even awesome. threw. So I was shocked to get drafted. I was yeah. shocked to get drafted. I was in grad school and and um, the draft happened in April and I got drafted and I'm like, these guys in the Packers, they're morons. Why would they draft me? I'm, I'm not good enough. You know, like how they, how are they coming yeah. off of their second consecutive yeah. Super Bowl? Like yeah. how are they successful with Brett Favre? Like they can't evaluate quarterbacks. They picked me, yeah. you know, granted it was pick 187. It was, you know, Peyton well, Manning, good film. Peyton Manning, Ryan Leaf, one, two, and then me at 187. So I even thought that was a wasted pick. So I get there and I'm like, well, hey, maybe I'll get to bring home the Packers shorts when this uh, camp's over that they give you. You know, maybe I'll have to steal them if they don't. And uh, but I'll show my grandkids. It'll be what a great story. I played for the Packers one time, you know, for a weekend at a mini camp. And uh, and I got there and I'm like, you know what? I I might be able to do this. I might be able to make the team. So I basically stopped grad school and went for it. Just did everything to make the Green Bay Packers. I still got cut. I still got cut. You know, Rick Meyer got cut from the Bears, and they were like, hey, you, they said, yeah, the day before, they're like, yeah, you made the team. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. This is a dream come true. No. And the next day, they're like, hey, Rick Meyer got cut from the Bears. I'm like, well, that stinks for him. Yeah. I'm like, well, we feel like it's an upgrade if we oh sign him over God. you. So, so I'm gone. So I play 17 games on the practice squad in Green Bay playing scout team tight end because there was no reason to have an extra quarterback, but they kind of needed a body to do yep. – tight end in practice so i'm blocking reggie unselfishness well it was just like uh, starving for a job basically (laughs) you know and so i'm blocking reggie white every day you know my first year and playing scout team tight end i hadn't played tight end since i was 12 and uh your dad played tight end my dad played tight end so so at least i at least knew how to get into a three-point stance and i knew what a swim move was but aside (laughs) and i knew how to hold i saw him do that so but so then the next year i'm the backup quarterback for the packers and so i was at a low and then a high then a low and then so anyway three years in green bay then i go to seattle i'm traded there to be their starter well it wasn't like you know all roses right away i get there and i get benched immediately they make my backup trent dill for the starter he had just won the super bowl and Baltimore, I got booed out of town, like literally. Yeah. Uh, Mike Holmgren said to me, hey, listen, I'm not usually wrong but uh, about quarterbacks, but I, I guess I was wrong. It's hard to admit, but yeah. I thought you could play. You can't. Hmm. And then – you know, unfortunately for Trent Dilfer, he tears his Achilles the next year mm. uh, in the game where Emmett Smith breaks the rushing title. Yeah. And, and I got to come in and, you know, basically help us win the game. And I never give the job back up. So, yeah. I mean, it was ups and downs and in yeah. Seattle for a long time. It just wasn't going to work. And so I ended up being there for 10 years, uh, mostly great years. Oh, eight. I got hurt. Wasn't a great year. Oh, nine. It was a tough year. But um, 2010 was a great year. We kind of ended on a high note at home against the world championship uh, you know, defending champs, the New Orleans Saints. You know, everyone kind of knows it as the beast mode run game, you yeah. know, where Marshawn Lynch had that amazing run. But then, we, you know, we, we don't play well enough the following week in the playoffs and uh, we're out. And so that season, the lockout's coming. Pete Carroll's the first year head coach. I'm thinking, hey, this thing's back. We've turned this ship around here. We worked hard to get it back to this point, And now we're on our way. And like you said, I, I didn't come back. You know, they, they basically moved on for me after the lockout. But looking back, there were so many good things like to yeah. think like I almost wasn't even invited to the to this party basically and now i got to experience it the journey was amazing where there's some things that we wish would have gone better sure but um what's the typical pattern of 
going from having a deal to entering your free agency year and and beginning those discussions. So typically, your starting quarterback never gets to free agency because you, know, you just get resigned. You get resigned. You don't hit the market. And now you see with the franchise tag, guys like Kirk Cousins will get like a hey prove it, prove it deal. Like yeah. hey, you played great seven games. I want to see you play great for sixteen. Yeah. And uh, you know, and so like he went out and he kind of proved it this year. Yeah. And, now they're negotiating again, and now they're looking at the price, and they're probably like, eh, can you prove it again? You yeah. know, and they'll tag him again. Yeah. Um, and that tag is? It's the t- average of the top five salaries of the players of your position yeah. that year. So some guys think and it's, it's the greatest thing ever. And it's a 12-month stick, so it's, it's one year, right? It's one year, yep. but it's not long-term security. So mm-hmm. if you... You know, blow out your knee and can never play again. It's not a. It's not a long term. Is it deal. guaranteed cash? In that one case, yes. There's in, yeah. the, in the NFL, you sign a four year contract. Nice if you're a quarterback, it is the average of the top five. It is, but if guaranteed. you sign a four year deal, you get a prorated signing bonus over four years, and the signing bonus is the portion that's guaranteed. Yeah. So, like, if you sign a five year contract as an NFL football player, and after the first year they decide, you know what, you're really not that good, they can tear up the contract, and they owe you nothing years two through five. Yep. And so it's essentially five one-year deals in a sense. So you got to that franchise moment and the conversation. So I got to that moment and uh, basically, hey, we're going to sign you back. The lockout happened. A lot of time elapsed. Uh, the quarterback coach left. The offense coordinator left. The offensive line coach left. Like There was a lot of transition. Yeah. And I think the Seahawks probably just looked at it and they said, hey, you have a young team. We've got a young offensive line we're trying to build something at some point we got to break off this relationship yeah. like you're not going to play forever i think i was 35 years old yeah. uh that time no one really played past 35 and uh basically i got a call at the end of the lockout from pete carroll and john schneider the gm and they said hey listen there's no easy way to say this but we're basically just you know we're going to break up with you yeah um it's been a great run appreciated you um you know what you've meant to the foundation that we're trying to build here but we're moving on and it was surprising it was shocking a little bit but uh but at the same time i understood like yeah. i understood hey i am 35 and you know i broke my wrist the year before i was kind of in bad shape i didn't like do you guys ever try to counter like in business you counter an offer. So like if they make you like an offer, then yeah. you counter. Yeah. Um, and I think even before the lockout, like they kind of made an offer, but like, again, it's like the, it's it not low. about, it's not even about the number. It's about the structure. And so like, there's some contracts that can work against you in a huge way. Like so what? like, like a playtime incentive. Huh. So I've been on teams where a guy will say, like, okay, Hey, here's your salary. But here's your salary if you play 16 games. Uh, But what happens is, uh, a lot of times, is that they say, well, we're not going to play him. Yep. So we don't have to pay him. You know, and Especially so, if like the, the season's over, you're right. not going to make the playoffs, there's four or five games left, then they certainly won't play you right, right. so they don't hit that play. So time. late in my career, I was playing on a team, and there was a guy, he needed, I think he needed four tackles to hit a, a bonus in his contract. It in was time. like $250,000. They dressed him and wouldn't let him on the field. <sighs> And it was yeah. just like this. Like, and meanwhile, we're, it's week 17. We're trying to win a game. Yeah. I'm the starting quarterback trying to win a game. Yeah. I need my guy on defense out there. Do you think there is uh, – because I've, I've heard a lot about that and seen it and read it, that the, the, the 
the performance bonuses mm -hmm. and player contracts. We have a little bit of them in, in, in professional lacrosse, but yeah, how does that affect the chemistry of a team? Because that you're ultimately right. The, one of the sports cliches that we often talk about is um, you know putting team first. Yeah, and, and how easy it is to say that, but. Being selfish and developing yourself as a player, um, and, and monitoring your st your statistics and setting benchmarks for yourself and saying like, "Hey, this is the way that I'm going to improve because this is a long game. I'm mm -hmm. playing. I'm going to play for 15 years." But also having team first ahead of that, it's just an interesting dichotomy. If you throw in cash incentives, mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it becomes a, yeah. And there's also a business of football that's going on. That's why I've always felt a lot more comfortable with team goals yeah. in my in, in any contract incentive situation is because the now way, we're all in it together. Is the best way to talk about it just disclosing it? Do you find if like uh, this, this linebacker is like, hey guys, listen, I just want to get it out there so, so no one's uncomfortable with it. I'm four tackles away from a quarter million dollar bonus. That's all I'll say about it, but I just don't want any secrecy or any rumors starting. Has, no, it just, it just happens. It just happens. Like you saw this past year with the Buffalo Bills. Yeah. The Buffalo Bills, their starting quarterback, Tyrod Taylor, uh, is due a bunch of money if he gets hurt, uh, basically. And yeah. so week 17, last game of the season, they just didn't play him. Hmm. They just didn't play him. Yeah. And they just said, hey, it's just a financial decision. Like, yeah. So they weren't putting their best players out there to win the game. They yeah. just made a financial decision. And then ironically, two days after the season, he goes and sees a doctor for an abdominal pain that he's been having, and he has surgery. Yeah. And now he's got to pass a physical come later, I think it's March or April, or they owe him a ton of money. Yeah. Like, I, don't, I forget exactly. Like I think Myers it's like $17 million or something wow. absurd. Uh, so it's like they made a business decision and then he made a business decision. So I think in the concept hmm. of a team, in the context of a, of a team, you really want to just all be having the same exact goals yeah. as much as possible. Yeah. And, and that's uh, where leadership comes in. Yeah. And, that, and so when you're structuring a contract, sometimes you'll see a guy like, oh, he turned down this. It's like, well, what, what exactly, yeah. you know? Um, but that, that's, that's stuff that is high level stuff. And as players come in from college or wherever, you know, you also, I guess, have to realize, Hey, listen, the, my boss and my boss's boss, they have a job, yeah. you know, they're trying to do things that I've never thought of, sell sponsorships, sell out the stadium, yeah. uh, be a great ambassador in the community. Like there's all this other stuff. It's not just about winning or losing games. Yeah. Is that where you think? A lot of value comes in for agents outside of the, the, the professionalism and the, negotiate, the negotiation skills they have, the marketing wherewithal, but like being that, they, they often call it like good cop, bad cop, or that middleman between the player and the president of the team having to negotiate or fight on behalf of the player for that incentive or something like that. It's particularly tough when your coach is also the guy involved in negotiations. So Does that like happen I've, a lot? Yeah. Sometimes the guy's like GM and head coach, or, or he's yeah. just a huge head coach. And, you know, he's like, hey, do you want to be here? Yes, coach, I want to be here. Yeah. You know, hey, do you believe in what we're doing? Yes, coach, I do. Right. You know, but then, then at the same time. And these are the um, same PowerPoint guys that are like. No, no, yeah. these are the good guys. I mean, these, these guys are, are sharper than that. I mean, they have, they have people that probably set up their iPhone for them, you know, but, right. but sure, they, they, they're good at what they do, yeah. but they also, um, they're also negotiating. So they may think that you're worth, um, you know, I don't want to use a player necessarily, but you know, like I, I just, I'll go ahead and use it. So I remember when I was negotiating a contract one time, 
the contract, you don't typically talk in numbers. You talk mm -hmm. in people. It's like selling a house. Huh. Like you're looking about comps. Yeah. Like, Hey, my house is on 41 main street. Uh, I know what 39 main street just sold for. So, got it. uh, this is okay. a comp. So like <laughs> yeah. for me one year, Chad Pennington had a, had a, had a deal and it was young in my career. And I thought, Hey, that Chad Pennington deal is a fair deal. I think yep. that's a fair comparable. Sure. I'm not going after Peyton Manning money. I'm not going after Brett Favre money. I'm got not it. going after Michael Vick money. I like that. But like Chad Pennington. Yeah. And they came back and it was my head coach. It was Mike Holmgren. He's like, Oh no, you're not Chad Pennington, meaning the contract. <laughs> right. And he was like, Oh, you're this guy. And it was the quarterback that I was like, Oh my gosh, I hope you did not just say that. Right. I'm so offended. Yeah. But it was nice. Are you that having that conversation or is the agent? My agent, my agent is having that conversation yeah. and I feel like I was mature enough to hear it. But yeah. I, I know there's guys that get really hurt by it. Like, yeah. what are you saying? Like, yeah. you know, I trusted you. You were my coach. You were my friend. You were yeah. like my teammate basically like but and you, you think, think i'm a, not chad pennington don't you think it's a great opportunity though to get players to like start experiencing more healthy uncomfortable conversation like they're going to have inevitably in the business world we're like yeah those conversations suck no doubt but you need to separate what we often talk about and hear culturally you know personal and business mm -hmm. and thick skin yeah I mean, that's part of it too. And in my, there's my, a lot of thin skin in sports for sure. For sure. And, and, and ironically, because you're talking about quarterbacks, kickers, guys who should have like, yeah, you know, guys. ice in their veins yet, you know, some bad words of, you know, hmm. no affirmation and they lose their minds. But, uh, I experienced it a little bit cause my, my agent was this guy, Andrew Brandt coming out of, uh, coming out of Boston college. I signed with this guy, Andrew Brandt. He became the CFO of the green Bay Packers while I was on the Packers. Huh. So then all of a sudden I had no agent and I, I had a one year deal my off the practice squad and I needed to do a deal. Well, you know, he can't represent me. He's yeah. now working sort of Conflict. against me. So they had me do my, so I did my own deal with, Another what was guy that conversation that he had with you? Is he like, hey, listen, Matt. So um, he basically I said. I can no longer represent you yeah, because I'm going to actually. He said, hey, would you take a job in Green Bay if you were me? And I'm like, heck yeah, man. Yeah. Like, this place is awesome. Yeah. I love it here. And um, so he did. But then I had to negotiate this right. thing. And it was just an eye-opening experience to, huh. like, to be to have no agent yeah. kind of like you're saying yeah. but uh but but I think as a player you got to realize that it is just negotiating yeah. like they don't think like in my case they weren't saying oh my gosh we wish we had Chad Pennington instead of you like they weren't yeah. saying that that's right they were just trying not to pay Chad Pennington prices yeah you know at that time he was making a lot of money yeah and and I'm sure after me there was some quarterback that came after me and they were like ah we see you as Hasselback and he'd be like what Hasselback no he's terrible <laughs> did you get the Chad Pennington money I uh, did a little better there than that go. actually you did yeah, better yeah yeah, All right. yeah. Well, but it was it was tough <laughs> yeah it was tough and I yeah. had to earn it and agent? It, great agent and uh and it was a six-year deal and so six-year deals never get played out you never get six years of your six-year deal there's all these like puffed up numbers at the end of your deal you're five you're six where they're going to cut you or renegotiate anyway mm. and um but the agents typically they like opt outs and stuff. They can opt out whenever the heck they want, you know, yeah. at the end of the season. Yeah, but but the guaranteed. agent feels good because he throws this big number up there. Oh, six years, such and such a million dollars. Right. And they sign more players. And they help in the recruiting the college kids. Yeah. Well, they also but, uh, bring in the, the, the marketing side. And so I wanted to, to ask you specifically about a big non-industry partner that we've seen. I've always been a big fan of the Campbell Soup commercials. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. So you have the endemic category, which everyone gets plugged into pretty 
pretty immediately through their agency group. And then you have the non-endemics, and, and that's a big category. Mm-hmm. So how did that deal come to you? So I think we had just, uh, we had just played in the Super Bowl, I believe. And it was going to be myself and Ben Roethlisberger, his mom and him and my mom and me. And uh, he had actually gotten into a motorcycle accident that offseason mm-hmm. and wasn't able to do it. So they hired the Steel Curtain to basically be the other side of, of our commercial. But uh, the guy who handled uh, handles all my marketing, this guy, John Drawn out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, met him through Brett Favre. He had put together the first ever Chunky Campbell's Chunky Soup deal with Reggie White in Wisconsin. Yep. And I don't know the details of how he did it, but he did it and had this kind of relationship and uh, maybe ran into somebody at the Super Bowl in Detroit or something and, and put the deal together. But the deal lasted, I forget if it was a year or two years. I think it was maybe two years. But we actually got fired because we my mo- being you and your mom, me and my mom, and uh, I was devastated, and she was so excited. And I'll tell about you about getting let go. Yeah, I'll tell you why though. <laughs> so like you know, the first year was us in the steel curtain. It was a lot of fun. Right. I, um, you know, besides the fact that I had to film it at Heinz Field right after I just lost the Super Bowl to the Steelers, and then yeah. spend a week in Pittsburgh. That was a little insult to injury. Right. But the next year, we filmed in Toronto for a week, and it was all these different guys: Ladanian Tomlinson and Todd Heap, and a um, bunch of great guys, and we had a lot of fun. Uh, but then the next year, we got my mom and I got fired, and basically through their market research, their you know focus groups or whatever, they saw the picture of me and my mom, and they thought, well, she's way too young to be his mom, and he's oh, he looks God. way too old to be her son. So basically, they were like, your mom's too hot, and you're too old and bald and pasty looking. Like, yeah. It was like I was like, yeah. what? Never mind the money that we lost. But uh, my mom was like, well, that's such a nice thing to say. Right. I'm like, no, mom, we lost we just got fired it's yeah. terrible but uh but it's true my mom's a beautiful woman and uh she's like yeah. 60 i think so yeah. if i'm 41 God you know bless. so it's, you know yeah yeah any whatever. other any other big deals that that you had experience with as kind of virtue of of being the 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 twitter guru or building your social platform? well that's one thing i realized early on is that people wanted to spend money in that social media space and they didn't know how to spend it well yeah like there were some things that people paid me they're still to, trying to figure it out yeah exactly that's a great point and there were some things that people paid me to like tweet post whatever share and i thought this is like dumb. Like I could do better than like my ideas on how to post and share, you know, more authentic and, um, you know, just real, like it would have been so much better, but okay, I'll do it your way, whatever. And then other things that I'd never thought of. And I thought it was awesome. I'll give you one example. Um, the NHL came to a group of us one year and said, Hey, will you live tweet the NHL all-star game? I'm like, uh, sure, I wasn't going to watch it, you know, because it's a nice day. Yeah. So, A, I watch it. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Best all-star game I've yeah. ever seen. Like, their formats are great. It's, it's great. awesome. Now I'm live tweeting it. Then I'm, get, and then I'm interacting with fans. I had to do, like, a certain amount of tweets per, you know, say it was, like, three tweets per period or yeah. whatever. I'm rattling off like 25 right. it was the it was greatest <laughs> i learned a lot of stuff about yeah. hockey i get all of my fans um sorry all my friends from canada tweeting yeah. at me all of a sudden i get Both. canada fans, fans, fans oh fans, dude fans. i kind of <laughs> liked you guys now i love you like hockey right, right. and it was it was great and i, I think great. i've been a hockey fan ever since and i remember distinctly when i was doing it because i'd send like a tweet about it and i'd see like drew Brees send a tweet about it. i'm like oh they got you too you know um but it was one of the better ones that i've that i've been a part of and yeah. uh and live tweet Tweeting is just kind of a fun. Live tweeting it's sports fun. events is is kind of an exciting yeah. thing. Authenticity, you said that, mm-hmm. and, and that it's always come off that way to me as you being super authentic. Are there ways that you uh, 
train yourself to be mindful regularly? Do you meditate? Do you ever do visualization before games? Yeah, so I, I read this thing. It's called Our Daily Bread every day. It's huh. uh, it's actually kind of part of a game. It's a, You could find one in any, any like, any Christian church in America, probably in the world. It's just like this old, it's an app actually on my phone. It's on my, it's on my home, home screen actually. Yeah. Dude, uh, come on. Well, we never got to it. We never got to okay. it. But, uh, <laughs> but like we would play a game in our locker rooms where you had to read the story by, uh, by the team meeting, which is usually like eight 30 in the morning. So you have other meetings, treatment, whatever, but by eight 30, you have had to have read the story and, uh, there'd be like a moral of the story, maybe a little Bible verse, but like definitely something historical to it. And you play the game, like say, say today's was about, um, you know, hey, it's important to, like, give somebody a compliment today. Right. Like, you know, it's a nice thing to do, whatever. And let's just say, you know, I'm over here and I'm like, hey, wow, hey, that's a great looking shirt on you. Like, yeah. And, and he read also and he's like, he's like, oh, well, you know, I like your shirt better. Right. Like, you might sit there and be like, you guys, what are you talking like? Why are you talking like that? Right. Like, oh, that's a dollar. You would owe a dollar to the pot. Or if you challenged it. No. So like, if you didn't read, so if like, didn't we, read, we, we don't say, I don't come up to you and oh, say, so Hey Paul, did you up. read? Got just kind of like pick it up. Right. You know what and I mean? And then everyone's just flinging compliments. Or it could be like, Oh, Hey, did you hear what happened in 1492? Like, yeah, I did. That was crazy. Yeah. You know, that's heroic though. Yeah. You know, like, Oh, what, what, what happened in 1492? What are you guys talking about? Yo, like, that's a dollar. Yeah. And so I would have a shoebox in my locker and the whole team start like reading these our daily bread oh, stories. And uh, at the end of the year, that money would go to a random person at a bus stop. And the most oh, cool. fun, it wasn't like that much money, but it was a lot of money to get at a bus stop. Yeah. Maybe like no doubt. somewhere between like 400 $500, yep. $600. And you stop at a bus stop and you're like, hey, um, we play this game. It's called the Our Daily Bread Game. And... Uh, I don't know. Here's your lucky day. I don't uh, know what to tell you. You know, it's done. I'm it just, implementing that. It's into this so, season. it's amazing. so good. But it's it, like for me with teammates, when you, it's kind of like a nice start to every single day. And it, uh, so you read, used to be like, I'm old enough. You had to read the, read the, read the story. I get in my car and, um, just, you know, it just goes on Bluetooth right away. Yeah. But we get a lot of coaches that did it also. So when I was at the Indianapolis Colts, our head coach was Chuck Pagano. It's tough being a head coach. I'm sure you got to yeah. come up with like what you're going to say to the team like uh. twice a day every day motivate them blah 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 and he'll get up sometimes and he'll be like you guys i'm gonna tell you a story there was a boy once he was eight years old i'm like we start looking around the room like yeah. those of us who are reading the story we're like our daily bread yeah <laughs> like and do you know what that little boy's name was and i'll be like uh was it john wooden coach you're like yes it was john wooden <laughs> it's just it's fascinating so yeah. yeah you gotta get material as a coach but uh that's that's a good one that's, mindfulness that's, uh, for mindfulness. sure I, I i don't know if i could survive without it yeah well you you embarked on the the probably the most important part of any athlete's career particularly one who's been as successful and has played as long as you have in in retirement um, just this past year. So what was that like for you and making that decision and, and how is it like post-retirement? Yeah, I wasn't planning on retiring. I was uh, actually March 2nd, it was free agency and I was looking at the teams. I wasn't going back to the Colts. They were signing Andrew Luck and had to, you know, cut costs basically everywhere for the $100 million man. And he's, yeah. he's worth it. He's a great player. But I was looking around, unfortunately, for other teams to go to and had some options and they weren't awesome family options. I got a daughter who's starting ninth grade and I'd been playing for so long and I always thought, oh, just play as long as you can, kind of. Yeah. And and, um, you know, out of nowhere, the opportunity came to maybe join ESPN and retire. They were shaking up their Monday night football pregame and their Sunday countdown, the morning show with Chris Berman, a show that I, you know, grew up watching. And 
you know, to go play a year somewhere else or maybe two even somewhere else or jump in into this new, very challenging huh. kind of situation. I, uh, you know, I talked it over with my wife and my kids and they were like, no, you got to play, you got to play. And then I, then I kind of said, okay, well, what do you, what if you look at it over four years? You know, so I signed a four-year deal at ESPN, basically said, okay, would you rather this for four years or would you rather go move to, you know, this NFL city, whatever city, you right. know, pick a team um, okay. for two years Washington. and then basically have to go do this again in two years. Yeah. And so when we looked at it that way through the lens of, okay, to my girls, hey, do you want to go to high school in one spot yeah. or do you want to do two years and then we move again? Yep. And um, so it was kind of a family decision yep. with also a chance to go be on ESPN, a, a channel that is always, always, always on at our house. Yeah. And if it's not, it's, uh, you know, their Snapchat story or whatever. Like that's where we get all, a lot of our news. Yeah. And, uh, I remember my first day at ESPN with Chris Berman, Chris Berman's like, Hey, to our team, he's like, listen, this will, you know, we'll get a little better at our show once we get to know each other. And I kind of looked at Randy Moss and he looked at me and one of us said to Chris Berman, we're like, dude, we know you, like, yeah. <laughs> we watch you every single week, our whole lives, yeah, yeah. you know, like you might have to get to know yeah. us, yeah. but, uh, you know, I know we can finish your sentences. Yeah. So this is kind of a dream come true to be part of that. And my brother works at ESPN also. And yeah. so in the off season, I work eight shows with him and, um, you know, we have the same parents and the same everything, but like we have, we also are good at arguing, I guess. Like we, could argue about anything. Yeah. And so I think it'd and be brother, fun brother. TV, you yeah. know, and he's, he lived in New York city for 10 years. So he's got this like harsh edge to him where he can be like, he'll come after me, like go on uh, the offensive. He's a New Yorker. He's, he's not, but he, you know, he's a yeah. Red Sox fan, yeah. okay. but he could, uh, <laughs> it's something, there's do something you, there. I think it'd be good for TV though. Do you parse out, you try to parse out pros and cons for big decisions and small decisions or just. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, I think for me though, too, I, I also don't worry too much. Like I remember yep. when I was picking what college to go to, I had actually committed to UCLA and I went to school in Boston high school and, uh, and Tom Coughlin was the coach at Boston college at the time. Huh. And he talked me into going to BC and I had to get out of this UCLA commitment. I was, was like, it a signed commitment or verbal? No, it's just kind of a verbal. And oh, actually yeah. the coach didn't accept it. He was like, listen, I don't feel comfortable doing this without your mom and dad. So let me fly back to Boston. Let's do this officially with your parents. I'm like, okay, fine. Yeah. Um, but I remember being so stressed out about it as yeah. a, as a junior or senior in high school. And, uh, I remember seeing my freshman year football coach and I said, he's like, what's wrong? I'm like, oh, I just feel like this decision is going to change the trajectory of my life. Like, this is the biggest decision I've ever made. Like, do I go to UCLA or do I go to Boston College? And he's like, that's that's not the that doesn't matter. It almost doesn't matter. Right. I'm like, what are you talking about? It doesn't matter. He's like, that's not those aren't decisions aren't going to decide whether you're successful in life. Oh, Here's what's yeah. going to decide if you're successful. Like, are you choosing to do drugs? Are you choosing to cheat? Are you choosing to you know um, go out and get wasted? Are you trying like what or like? Or are you going to choose to not do those things? Hey, yeah. I'm going to be a person of integrity. Am I going to get an honest A minus instead of a deceitful A? Like those types yep. of things. Yep. It doesn't matter if you do that at UCLA, Boston College, Notre Dame, like wherever. And I, I think for me at that moment, it was freeing. And so when I've had the chance to like maybe be a free agent and sign with another team or even retire, it was almost like it doesn't matter if I'm playing football, talking about yeah. football or you know, whatever I'm doing, yeah. like I'm bus driver. That's like, a great mindset. You know, I love which that. was freeing for me. It felt like, yeah. you know what? Don't worry about that. You're, it's, it's sort of like being present. 
it goes back to that mindfulness exercise mm-hmm. that you do every day. Yeah. So I want to finish with our uh, our highlight reel. I, I think I just like called it a highlight reel because like, I don't want to call it rapid fire, but we just try and run through a series of like quick questions and answers, and then we'll close this. It was really awesome having you. I learned a lot. Good about you as a person. Good. I'm learning too. It's like a therapy <laughs> session. <laughs> okay. So I actually didn't even look at your the, the style of phones. This is a good one. iOS or Android? iOS. How many hours of sleep per night? Seven. Point three. Breakfast, lunch, or dinner? Love them all. All of them? Love them. Read? Breakfast is so good, though. Do you, do you prefer to read or listen? Listen while I drive. There you go. So audio, you podcaster? It can be, yeah. We're getting a subscriber out of you. I know that. I'm in. Bam. Right. Hydrate or caffeinate? <laughs> double hydrate so you can double caffeinate. Okay. <laughs> Block or tackle? Block or tackle? Well, if you're well, tackling, you tight yeah, yeah, but that means you threw an interception. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately, that's the best time to make a tackle when you're really upset. Yeah. <laughs> Your final meal will be? My final meal? Last meal, if oh, you got a chance to. Dessert, baby. Dessert. Dessert. One thing that you cannot go without? My wife. There you go. Thanks, Matt. Thank you. Appreciate it, man. It was a blast. Good time. We'll see you soon. I will subscribe. Next. Yeah. <laughs> The next sports advisory board meeting for <laughs> in a couple of years. There you go. I'm in. Count me in. Thanks, Paul. Here's a shout out to Matt Hasselback. Really, really enjoyed your time, buddy. And thanks for tuning in to this edition of Suiting Up with Paul Rabel. I want to say thank you to our sponsor and ask that you please support them the way that they support this show. Also, make sure to subscribe to Suiting Up with Paul Rabel, either on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your pods. I'll catch you next time.